Evan, what is it about children that is so terrifying? Because this is the scariest episode I think we've we've covered yet. Evan, can you... I asked you if you needed to go to the bathroom before we started recording, if you could have... <laughs> Don't smack your lips right after you zip up, man. That sounds so gross. <laughs> is, is that not what people do? <laughs> Just a whole... Mm, mm, that was a good one. <laughs> Just a whole bunch of urinal. Mm-mm, all done. <laughs> that chef's kiss. Mm. Like they, yeah, they walk away dabbing their mouths with napkins. I feel like because this is the intro, and so we might be having new listeners right now. I should say Evan was actually sipping out of a mug very loudly, <laughs> continuing to get laughs out of me in the intro. Um, but we. <laughs> Oh, never. Let's we'll return to my question when the episode gets going. Hey, listeners. Hey, new and returning listeners. We're the Scooby Dudes. Yeah. Uh, he's Luke. I'm Evan. We're two best friends, and we're talking about our favorite meddling kids. And they're dumb dog too. This guy here, the one you're listening to right now, his name is Luke. He talks about himself in the third person almost never, but except right now. My, I'm Luke. I continue to be Evan. I continue to be so thirsty. Evan, if you're thirsty, why do you keep urinating? Like, that seems like that's not going to help you at all. You know what? As I was doing, as I was drinking out of that mug, I hate that. It makes me think of whenever, um, and this is it, fully work in live action as well as in cartoons. Whenever someone drinks out of a straw, mm. that's the sound that you hear. Like someone's- it's, tr- it's true. Oh my gosh. How have I never thought of this before? Every straw in a film and cartoon is at the bottom. It's almost empty. It doesn't matter if the cup is full, if it's been handed to them full. If someone is drinking out of a straw, it it's, sounds like they're, they're dredges. It's just and, at the bottom. You know what? I'm okay with that because you can get that same sound just so long as the straw is at the top of the water. But for that, if the cup is full, the straw needs to be almost entirely out of the cup. And, and it's because when you're drinking out of a straw, it's silent. There's no yeah. sound the if there's enough liquid in there. The only sound is gulping. You know what? That's true. If someone is drinking out of a straw with gusto, that's all you should be hearing. That, uh, hey, Foley artists worldwide, because you're all listening to us, let's make that change happen, okay? We only want to hear that slurpy We're calling slurp you out. At- we're putting you on blast. We're putting you on blast, okay? Hey, this is what we're here to do. We're two best friends here to talk about our favorite meddling Foley work. Um, we're here to talk about... Mystery Incorporated, some of our listeners' very favorite series of Scooby-Doo. The episode that we're doing is... Do you hear those sirens? I do hear those sirens. They're coming for you, man. They're coming. They're coming. It's the Foley artists. (laughs) It's the Foley artists. (laughs) Do you know most Foley artists are cops? That is like a one-for-one. 99, a huge intersection of those. There's no police car. (laughs) They're just sticking their heads out the window. It's just a group of Foley artists. (laughs) Like the banana guards in Adventure Time. It's it's their art. You know what? They're yeah. really good at it. Um, we're doing a, an episode called The Song of Mystery. The Song of Mystery from Mystery Incorporated. Uh, can we get a, a series note? This is the series where uh, everything is really scary. And some of the relationships are a little fraught, at least in these first episodes of the first season. Uh, so we're going to be getting into that. We're going to be getting into what is the song, what is the mystery of this I don't want to uh, take away too much from the episode, though you did hear me at the beginning. There's some scary kids in this episode. Uh, it's a lot of fun stuff to cover. Now, 
Uh, now that we're done with the intro, I just need to go to the bathroom real quick, if you'll excuse me. I just gotta... Wait, seriously? Wait, really? You know, it concerns me that that's what you think your name sounds like. <laughs> Happens every time. I pee. are watering and my nose is stuffy now <laughs> my eyes are watering for a different reason i'm actually pretty impressed by foley artists now <laughs> if that's what it takes <laughs> i'm actually pretty impressed you managed to slurp without <laughs> killing yourself <laughs> okay let's let's get to the episode Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. Mystery Incorporated, Season 1, Episode 5, The Song of Mystery. My first thought when I came to this episode was... What a boring title for an episode. My, my thought was, for the series that's the scariest, ostensibly, in my opinion, this is the scariest Scooby-Doo series out there, this sounds like a very mild, uh, a mild title. It, sounds, it, it made me think of the Song of the Sea. It made me think we have something very serene. And, oh, it made uh, me think of the Song of the South. Ooh. <laughs> that we would be in for an, a much worse episode than we're in for right now. I, I just think there's such a time-honored tradition of fun scooby-doo episode titles you know you're right and like pun titles um or at least alliter- alliterative titles yeah, like, creep, the creeping creatures that has that alliteration we just did demon of the dugout and granted there was no demon we never saw the dugout but it the, the title pertained to baseball and it was a double d the last episode of this series which you can go find on our website scooby-dudes.com revenge of the man crab that's a fun title for an episode and it's a, like a very clear play on some horror tropes, like the Revenge of the Beast or something like that. Other ones that we've covered, Beware the Beast from Below, The Creeping Creatures, um, The Secret of the Ghost Rig. When I'm reading these titles, it's summoning to mind the terrible intro jokes we did, like uh, The Secret of Thug Ostrig, I think was the one I did for The Secret of the Ghost Rig. Oh, man. I do remember that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think this is a really pun-heavy Scooby-Doo series. I think this is the Scooby-Doo series that leans the least on comedy, perhaps. Do you think that's fair? I would say that, yeah. As a whole, this is not a very funny show. And I will say, I think it's more than just the humor that draws us to the series. Oh, yeah. I, I think early Scooby-Doo has some laughs in it, but it's much more the aesthetic and the, and the relationships that draw me into the, that drew me in initially to Scooby-Doo. Here, I think the draw is really the horror, and, and in some ways, the art and the direction, because it's a very beautiful show. And I will say, and I know it's taking us a little while to really get into it, but I've always mm. really appreciated the directing on these episodes in terms of like making scenes very uh, fraught with peril and very frightening. But after mm. having seen Hereditary, which has sort of like sparked sort of like this curiosity in me for horror... I really, really appreciated um, this episode. I think, I think maybe moving forward, forward, um, I'll have somewhat fresher eyes just for that particular mm. aspect of the series. 
That's a good point. And, and Evan, remind me, are you generally a horror person, or is that is this kind of a newish interest for it, you? It's very newish. I have not been. I do not like being scared. You know, I'm in the same boat. I But I also recently had my interest in horror sparked by the television series The Terror, which I found incredibly engrossing and to be a, an incredibly well-told story. Um, so I, I tried to bring a little bit of that interest to this show, which is definitely, again, more horror, less comedy. Um, but like you said, I think that the direction and some of the choices made, especially visually, are incredible. I don't, it's, it's, a, it's not cinematography if it's animated, maybe storyboarding, or I'm not sure I think what. It, I think it could it's, still be. It's still, well, the cinematography is great. The, the, the angles that we see people at and the way they move, uh, they use space on the screen and light is, is very inspired. And I also want to say the music is really great. It feels like great horror music. But that's probably end of background. Yeah, let's get into the episode. Uh, the so- Song of Mystery. Song of the Southern Mystery. Zippity-doo-dah. It's not a mystery what happened in the South. We open in on Briar Rabbit justifying slavery on an that, old cotton plantation. It's not Briar. It's a Brer. Brer Rabbit. Huh, is our Briar is not... Like, Brer... It is Brer Rabbit, there's you're a, right. Is, there's uh, a Briar Patch... Don't throw me in that there briar patch, I believe, is something that... I thought he was named after the briar patch, and briar was just the way they say it. No, 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 because there's briar fox. Briar fox is trying to eat briar rabbit. And they're not both briar fan... You know what? I'm going to move away from that reference. We open up always in this series with some rando getting uh, sprung by a monster, and this is interesting because we actually see a principal cast member in that cold open. Yeah, that's true. Um, I had forgotten about that, but... In the same vein, like, I think a lot of horror, I don't know, I, I guess I, I don't know a lot about horror TV shows, but there's a tradition in Scooby-Doo to, to showcase the monster before the credits, before the opening credits. Oh, yeah. The cold open introducing the monster, giving us that element of who is this, what is, what's going on here, we're a little bit scared, and we're intrigued to watch past the theme song. Just to uh, to open things up, Daphne is babysitting a kid named Arthur who's watching a television show where anthropomorphic vegetables uh, boss each other around and deliver packages. Well, I basically I saw this. It's called Broccoli Head, and I saw this and I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this is SpongeBob SquarePants." Because you're right, Broccoli Head is being to- he's he's like yeah he's like a package delivery man. Uh, he's being ordered around by like a beet or like a rutabaga mm-hmm. or something, and he's also voiced by Tom Kenny. Oh, you're, man, you're right. I knew the voice work was a little more polished on him. Yeah, I was like, this is just SpongeBob SquarePants. It, and this kid is really like He's really it. loving it. And I have to say, it is a very kiddish show. I've recently been trying to explore the lower limits of how young, uh, how young targeted, like l- young age targeted a cartoon I can personally enjoy. And so I've seen a lot like this recently. And here, the entire joke in this show, within a show, is that the broccoli doesn't know how to pronounce people's names. We see that throughout this episode. I actually think it's really funny. <laughs> you do? I couldn't stand it. <laughs> because, <laughs> okay, because, and, and to fill in our listeners a little bit more, mm-hmm. the beat's name is Gabodoglophoria. Gabodoglophoria? So he's like, no, no, it's Gabodoglophoria. And um, t- broccoli head is, do you mean, like, Gab? But it's to me, it's a joke that keeps on giving. <laughs> um, it's just silly. It's a silly premise. It's a very I thought silly it was premise. Very funny. Um, uh, Daphne takes Arthur. Uh, it's time for Arthur to go to bed. Arthur goes upstairs. Um, Daphne 
um, closes the door on him, gives him a, like, blows him a kiss when he's in bed. Kind of an odd. Do babysitters do that? I don't know. I do that when I babysit, but that's just me. I thought that was my personal brand. Um, then we have the monster who's outside the window. Actually, no, first we hear, like, a couple of notes coming through as Daphne's still inside, and Daphne says, Oh, that's a pan flute if I ever heard one. Yeah, there's, there's a, a shadowy figure outside. That's odd. Who could be playing the pan flute at this hour? Daphne knows the sound of a pan flute like the back of Fred's hand, which... Excuse ooh, me. That sounds bad. I meant that because she loves Fred and she knows Fred really well. Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. No, 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 Evan, no. Okay. <laughs> no, there has been no physical abuse on this show. That was a... I will say... there. An unwise... That was a poorly considered play on, play on words. words. Although I will, there are some semi-abusive relationships here. Like, I will say, uh, Velma would no longer be allowed to host the Talking Dead based on what happens in this Ooh, TV show. Wow. Topical, am Topical. I right? Yeah. But there is a pan flute being played outside by what appears to be a Mayan spirit or someone dressed up in Mayan clothing and bandages all around yeah, them. Yeah, I, I don't think we find out until later. But, but the style does kind of reflect, but it's, yeah. We can talk about it now. Um, when, when the monster's finally revealed, we see that it is sort of like this Mesoamerican, sort of like a Mayan mask, and then like a, a poncho, mm-hmm. sort of, like that sort of garb, and then like bandages along the arms and the legs. Mm. The mask looks a little bit more like a demon mask from a Japanese mythos to me. I, it felt like it was you know, skirting lines a little bit, but I don't know Mayan uh, aesthetic super well. The big thing here, and the thing that established this is the scariest episode we've seen yet of Scooby-Doo, for me, is that that pan flute transforms Arthur, the sweet little boy, into a crazed, maniacal, like, zombie creature. Arthur, uh, all of a sudden has, like, white, shaggy hair and tusks, and, like, fangs and tusks, and and leaps around like a little gymnast, like a little beast, like a little monster. Yeah, and glowing yellow eyes, and, and like really seems uh, both agile and aggressive, superhumanly so. And and in, and and in this cold open, it's Daphne who's in the uh, in the, the path of the monster, which makes it a little extra and, scary. And again, like the directing is so good. Like Daphne, like needs to get out. She goes to the front door. She goes to open it, and there's that um, chain. Like the security chain. Yeah, there's like one of those little lock. Yeah, and it stops her from getting out, which is just like, oh, of course. And so she like ducks as the kid jumps at her. The kid like bounces off the door, kind of hard, and but is like still recovered, like like an animal, like a, a feral cat. And then Daphne manages to get out, does a flip over this railing, and again, some great direction. She's standing outside as the kid's like right there at the window, could pounce on her and I presume eat her face. But he stops, and he just, like, stays there. And so it does, it does interesting things with tension in scenes like that. And that's when Daphne turns around and sees that the, uh, the Mayan pan flute playing spirit or whatever has disappeared in a puff of smoke. The, then there's the theme song. That's pretty good. I love the theme song. This is one of my favorite theme songs. It's like the opposite of, be, of uh, Get a Clue. So the gang is in the mystery machine. I guess they're skipping school. They're playing hooky. Um, and we find out a number of things. Um, for our listeners who are not familiar with this show, I would say go to our episode coverage and just um, listen to them and then listen to this one. Because we fill in a lot of the gaps. Mm. We provide a lot of context. One thing that is important to note is that both of the 
female characters on this show are interested in both of the male characters, respectively. Man, interested is generous. They are thirsty. They are like uh, dying in a desert, thirsty for their men. Um, Daphne, in a completely unrequited way, and Velma, in a way that's required, requited, not required, um, but... Uh, but Velma's also extremely controlling of Shaggy, and every episode features her trying to change some fundamental thing about Shaggy. So there was a past um, episode where the, yep. Velma was trying to get Shaggy to eat more healthily. Mm. This episode, what Velma's trying to do is get Shaggy to stop saying like so much. Like, blah, blah, blah. And that's, I, I mean, what did you think of that? I, I'm, I can guess, but what do you think? I know that you... So, so with with Daphne, she's so into Fred that in the uh, what is it called the opening credits or whatever, um, there's like this whole three sixty spin around the characters mm. and like Fred has like traps and like Scoop, Scooby and Shaggy have like burgers, but Daphne specifically is like caressing a portrait she, of Fred, a picture of Fred. Yeah, that's her character, which is like rough. That's like a huge bummer. Um, it's really reductive. I would say that. I find Velma's relationship with Shaggy more compelling hmm. because I think a lot of the reason that Velma tries to be so controlling or tries to exert as much power as possible is because Shaggy um, is choosing to keep their relationship a secret. That's true. Although the secret part isn't really a factor of this episode. In fact, at the very end, I wondered if Scooby already knew. And to be clear, Shaggy wants to keep it a secret from Scooby more than anyone else. Yeah, he does not care about um, um, Daphne or Fred so much. It's specifically nor do Fred his and Daphne dogs. care about them. Uh, we we have very little interaction between Daphne, Fred, and Shaggy Velma in this episode. Um, I'm. To go a little deeper in on what's going on with Shaggy and Velma, it's jumping ahead a little bit. Velma, even later on when they're at the school, says to Shaggy, to make sure you can start stop, you can stop saying like, put this rubber band on your wrist, and every time you say like, snap it. Then we zoom in on Velma's face. Hard. At one point, it's, it's, it's interesting, there are all of these um, sort of tropes that come and go. Or not tropes, but like um, plot devices. Um, one such that I remember happening mm. a lot that <clears throat> I don't think happens so much anymore was that someone is bad at singing, but you can't tell them. Oh, yeah. Hmm. L like, you're in a band, you're in a band together, and someone's like, oh, I'll be on vocals. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And then they're, like, very bad at vocals, but someone else in the group is good, so maybe it's, like, one of their, um, tricks is to turn the microphone down of the person who's bad. And, you know, I don't stuff know. like that. I'm like, sorry, I don't um, know. What, what, how, uh, so the, the, the rubber band on Shaggy's wrist is like the microphone turning down, and his saying like is like singing bad? Um, so that whole, that whole like, sort of like convoluted like singing thing is one example. Dating two girls at the same time is another example, which I guess still crops up now because it was so like iconic mm. and another one was i need to stop a bad habit so i will wear a rubber band around my wrist and snap oh. so that's very like late 90s early aughts that kind of thing cropped up in a lot of tv shows and and i'll try not to harp on it too much but i'm not crazy about i'm already not crazy about velma trying to change shaggy the fact that she tries to change shaggy through um negative reinforcement by having him snap a rubber band really hard on himself feels it doesn't feel great i mean i'm wearing a rubber band right now i tried it 
while watching the episode, and it really hurts. I still have a slight red mark on my wrist from that. Oh, because um, because your inner arm is very sensitive. That's like a sensitive. You, you have virtually no padding. It's just all nerves right at the surface. Uh, a few other things. Um, just because we're back, mm-hmm. let's let's go back to the mystery machine. Um, yeah, we here they are driving uh, not to school apparently. I don't think no, so. No, they are driving to school. I, I well, I mean, I might have to rewatch it. I was under the impression that they were skipping, but maybe they're driving to school. I I'm amazed that they ever go to school because we certainly never really see them there. Um, but, but but yeah, what do we find out when they're driving around? Fred comments because, and this is why I think they're skipping, is because he says if he flunks civics because he's been missing class. If he flunks civics, he's off the team. And my question was, what team? What team? What Wild is he cats. playing? My same question. <laughs> Everywhere. That's the way to do it. Let's get to it. All right. There's no way that Fred has time to play uh, sports. I, I really wish they'd expanded on that a little bit, or they kept it obscure but kept referencing it. Like, I want Fred to say, like, the team is everything to me, and Shaggy be like, what team? We've never seen you play anything. Uh, there's, there's a definite joke there where he's just like, oh, my coach was telling me the, the other day, and they're just like, yeah, you're coaching what sport exactly? Yeah, like, <laughs> I really like that. Um, but yeah, I, and he also references that his dad got him a female tutor for civics, which Daphne takes more than a little issue with. Um, Velma, meanwhile, is, uh, again, kind of like introducing Shaggy to the idea of not saying like so much. Uh, they take a detour on their way to wherever they're going to stop by Arthur's house because Daphne's concerned. Apparently, Daphne never really, like, followed up on Arthur. Like, she just left the house, I guess, after babysitting part of the night? And I would say that that is actually very in line with the way people care for children in Crystal Cove because they (laughs) notice that literally everyone on this block is leaving and when i say leaving i mean like literally moving like they have like suitcases and luggage they are leaving crystal cove but by everyone you mean every parent the kids are left locked up in the houses i mean daphne asks uh like uh arthur's parents who also have a weird name like weird on the level of that broccoli person's boss i I can look it up right now. please do because arthur's parents names uh Bay Wozenthal. Bay Wozenthal. I heard that and I was like, is this a joke? It apparently was not a joke. They didn't lean into it. But Daphne's like, but what about Arthur? And Arthur like pops out of the attic and he's like, and they drive the heck off. These parents are not trying to save their kids. So I guess the Um, fact that... That's the definition of like child endangerment. Pretty much. Although Daphne is no better. Again, Daphne left in the moment of crisis. This would be like hiring a... This would be like if you were a babysitter and like the person your baby the kid you're babysitting goes into anaphylactic shock and that's the moment you leave you're like well now something went wrong obviously i'm off the hook no well, no this because is what kids with anaphylactic shock are not trying to attack you yeah but i just mean like in the, in the moment of crisis that's when the babysitter <laughs> leaves it's like it would be like a firefighter who thinks that once a fire happens that's when they're off the job like oh well now i don't have to do anything this is a this is a big issue I don't know, I'm not describing it well, but I think that the level of childcare in Crystal Cove is not where I'd want it to be, where I a parent. Well, it's very bad. Um, and I don't know if you've written this line down, but I would like you to, to read it because you can do the impression and I cannot. Wait, what line? <laughs> You'll have to tell me what line. There were a few lines in this. Uh, the line is, every child on this block has been inexplicably... Spookified. Spookified. <laughs> Was that by Sheriff Bronson Stone? It sure was. Sheriff Bronson Stone, who is uh, voiced by Patrick Warburton, 
I freaking love in this show. They don't use him enough. One thing I'll say is that when he shows up along with Fred's dad, who is the mayor, Mayor Jones, the two of them have this kind of dynamic as they're talking about the mystery that really made me want to see an episode that focuses on just those two. You know, like that cartoon episode that focuses on tertiary characters and their adventures? I want that for these two. Um, the one line I did have written down from Sheriff Bronson Stone is when they're justifying why it's okay for the parents to leave and to let the kids just kind of run amok. Um, Cusco. <laughs> I can only get into character by saying Cusco. Boys I think that's Cusco. the default for people who do Patrick Warburton impressions. For people, I think that's how everybody warms up a Patrick Warburton. Just because they're spookified doesn't mean they can't reconstitute macaroni. That was pretty weak as a Sheriff Bronson one, but I, lo- I love that line. When he's like, oh, we can drop Basically, in... Basically, they're uh, gonna, yeah, airdrop in uh, food. Relief packages. Just because they're spookified doesn't mean they can't... Okay, never mind. <laughs> I'm not on it today. Um, but yeah, they... The town management in this show is very fraught. There there seems to be very little oversight. I, and, um, again, more context. Civics, perhaps, is a big Crystal issue. Crystal Cove, yeah. um, I guess, built their economy on tourism because they had a lot of ghosts... And, and creeps and, and ghouls and whatever. And the gang has systematically debunked all of these, which has really hit the town economy, which makes you wonder if Mystery Incorporated are the villains here. The very first episode of this series opens up with them being thrown in the slammer for trespassing. So it kind of presents them as villainous or like not necessarily on the side of good, but at the same time, it also kind of presents existing authority figures as in the wrong in this show. Um, and for for instance, uh, Mayor Jones and Sheriff Bronson Stone cuff the gang and load them into a police truck to, but then on the other hand, they're ferrying them off to school where they really should be going in the first place. And cops will do that if they find a truant kid. Truant, by the way, man, I haven't, heard that word in many a year i kept trying i kept thinking about um there's a perry Perry bible fellowship comic called truancy bot um and Hmm. uh it's just this robot he's truancy bot and he comes across these kids in an alley and he's all like sorry really quick i'm always nervous when you start describing perry bible fellowship on air (laughs) i'm like how how am i gonna edit around this and and he's like um you kids should be in school and they're like you truancy bot and they like flip him off and then he like i guess punches them in the face and like carries them back to school and then as he's walking to school the panel there's like the sign out front and it's like summer <laughs> like school's out for summer or something oh pbf good stuff um so the gang is forcibly escorted to school where uh velma introduces the rubber band and that kind of goes in a little bit I, one note here i have is velma is Velma a dom? Oh, she's. Ugh, I hate. I hate the whole just like. And I'm not saying oh, that in a bad way. Bookish librarian type girls are like boring and normal life, but like super sexy and kinky in their personal lives. Yeah, and like controlling. Like they're super mild in public, but they need to be in control in private. I'm not. I'm not uh, trying to play Velma, into yeah, that. Probably. And I don't think it's bad if Velma's. Probably, but it's not. I mean, I'd be okay. The thing with being a dom or a sub is that it has to have a lot of consent and boundaries. And I don't really see that with Velma and Shaggy. I will say, apparently, apparently, Shaggy told Velma he wanted to become more, he wanted to improve his appearance. 
So that's that's what he said, presumably. So mm. she, because so, as, so she wants to help mm, him with that, sorry. and one of those steps is for him to not wear bell bottoms anymore, which is like reasonable. I mean, in this day and age, that's a reasonable ask. But his pants don't really look like bell bottoms to me. They look like yeah, baggy they're just pants. baggy. They're, they're just, just baggy, baggy pants. Yeah. Um, but what she makes him wear are like uh uh like Eddie Murphy's pants in Raw, except striped. Like they're. I, I don't know what Raw is. It's a stand-up special. Oh. Um, but like, but like, they're like extremely tight plastic, rubbery striped purple pants. And uh, I, I don't know. I guess Velma's into that thigh gap because it certainly gives Shaggy one. Uh, I'm just going to run through some stuff. Uh, we bump into... Well, okay. I was going to say run through, but I, I have to take some time. We're going to leisurely stroll through some stuff. So every time there are new characters introduced in an episode, we know as viewers that one of these characters has to be the villain. Unless it's that episode of the Harlem with the Harlem Globetrotters where none of the Harlem Globetrotters were the villain. The villain is someone we've never met before who's never even been referenced, not even a word spoken. So we know someone's going to be the villain, and therefore, more likely than not, someone is also going to be the red herring, the person to throw us off the villain's scent by looking extra suspicious. So we find that Fred's tutor is not a foxy senior. Well, she is a senior in high school, Mm -hmm. but she is, I guess, like a tween a tween how old would you say i'd say 13 maybe 14 year old girl with yeah i was somewhere between the ages of 12 and 14 was my mm. best guess with uh like really sev- a severe center part and pigtails that are so tight they look like an like a bug antennae that hang down yeah she's kind of like gretchen from recess mm, that, yeah like gretchen from recess but more severe like uh like how like if one of the artists on this series was dumped by Gretchen from Recess and did this as revenge. Oh, no. That's what this character is. She She's basically, and this was another trope that I think has since gone the way of the dinosaurs. Um, but it, it's a really, really smart kid. A kid who's so smart, they're below high school age, but they're in high school. And they shouldn't even be in high school. They have like a college level iq yeah like an extremely precocious child and sometimes when that trope is introduced there's something that something that's introduced that shows that this is still a kid that they're extremely smart they're probably smarter than most of the adults we see but they still have some sort of naivete or youth to them here that element is hawking loogies and i don't care for that as a balancing well, element she's not hawking loogies just she's going like, just hawking hawking and stop just that. Ugh, ugh, barf, vomit, yuck, no, mute. It's very gross. It's so gross. And, and we she see does the it, spit. We see that she does it and doesn't think it's a weird thing. Like, like she'll talk a normal sentence, do a gross throat thing, and then keep speaking. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think one of the weaker parts of this show are some of their comic lines. Like, I think they're well written, but in execution, like, the timing doesn't always work out. Unrelated, but another timing-related thing Velma eventually gets a t-shirt um, branded with the uh, K Horrifico, which we find out is the name of the villain. And everyone keeps asking her, like, oh, hey, nice shirt. How much does that? And she'll cut them off and be like, 15 bucks. Um, but the time in between them being cut off and her cutting them off is so noticeable. There's a big gap. You know, like, 
uh, when on, mm. when in a play, there's a line written where someone cuts someone else off, but they don't execute it. Super yeah, there's like a there's like a dash. It's I right? mean it's really tough to do, but I feel like you could have done it better with the help of the editing room. Total nitpick on my part. Um, but that's that's the kid. I don't even remember her name. I just have kid tutor in my notes. Uh, her name is Mary Ann Glearden. Um, Glearden. There's also a collision between I believe Daphne and this. Uh, I, I want to say he's Mexican, this Mexican guy named Dr. Luis de Patri, uh, Patrio, and he's doing research. He's an exchange teacher, which is almost, I wasn't sure if it was a joke at first, but they didn't seem to lean into it like a joke. I wish it was, because I like that. Um, he's doing research on South American mythology. Yes, and we see him, he has a book opened up to a page with Kei Hurifico, who again, we'll find out, is the name of the villain on there. So... Pretty strong villain or red herring uh, beats coming off of him. Uh, then there's a little bit of an interlude, I guess, where we see um, Keharifiko walk into a cul-de-sac, play the panpipes. All the kids turn into, or sorry, all the kids are spookified. All the parents run out. It's very scary. It is. It's kind of a, I mean, like one of the scariest uh, fairy tales or uh, like old timey stories to me is the Pied Piper. I think is one of the most terrifying old stories, and this is pretty much that. This is definitely a play on that. It's yeah, but I but with, I guess a dash of like ethnic flavor, um, but I think it's yeah. I mean, can we talk about the, the kind of maybe uncomfortable cultural and ethnic qualities that this episode is summoning? It's not just with the villain, but with the professor. I think is, I mean, did you have any thoughts there? Um. So the professor, he. He thinks that they think that he's... He thinks that they suspect him, which is true. They do. Um, because he's saying he, things like, I haven't slept well in the last two nights. Man, I love playing this pan flute. I wish all the kids would obey me in this town. He's just really, really getting suspicious. So much so that he looks really red herringish. Yeah, I mean, he he is a professor, so he does this, explain to them that, like, hey, Horifico um, plays the panpipes, <coughs> turns kids into, like, the servants of evil, um, and is also... Um, a monster that a normal human being transforms into at night. Mm. And, and then, as um, you said, he says that he's had trouble sleeping. He's really taking off everything. My issue is, Velma is just like, oh, he knows about Kehorifico. I don't think that's a point against him, personally. Um, he Yeah, no, he's informed. And he, tell, he teaches, he's very forthcoming about Kehorifico, to the point that I'm like, if you're Kehorifico, you're really filling filling these guys in <laughs> i mean it's yeah it's like teaching a whole semester on one villain and then dressing up as that villain you've really set yourself up for being discovered although when we first see him and he has the book open to Horifico, he and someone sees him with it he like really closes it quick and then runs away so he's acting super suspicious and that's why i, I presume the gang goes to spy on him at night like a couple of peeping toms my issue is that velma's last point as to why it might be uh dr potrio is that he has an accent. Oh, oh gosh. I didn't even catch that. And it's like, okay, okay, here's the thing. Kei Horifiko speaks once in this entire episode. One time. And not yet. And it is 
not with an accent. It's near the tail end of this episode. It's we haven't seen this anything yet. Velma is just a straight up xenophobe. That's what we're yeah, learning right now. I was now. just gonna say a little bit, little bit of casual xenophobia not from our cool. from Miss Dinkley. And you know, I think we could have played that as like this is a ding against Velma. We're trying to make a comment on that. But my big thought on the professor or teacher or whatever, he uh, kind of reminded me of the ongoing present conversation on Apu from The Simpsons because I think. His accent itself is played for laughs in this episode in a way that made me a little uncomfortable. Really? I think so. I kind of liked it. I kind of liked his accent. I, I didn't dislike his accent. I disliked the feeling that they were... A lot of the stuff he was doing was supposed to be funny, not for what he was saying, but for simply... Nor the way he's delivering it, but for his accent. And that... Uh, I wasn't crazy about that because I thought it was good voice work besides that. Um, but again, we, we go spy on him at his own home because he is a minority, he talks different than the rest of us, he's not from around here. Uh, the reasons to suspect him are adding up, people. Uh, Shaggy knocks over some trash cans because he's wearing those Eddie Murphy pants that you described. Mm-hmm. Um, at which point, Patrio confronts them and then admits that he believes he might actually be K. Horifico. I love this. We th- I think we've had this once before where we've someone thought... We've d- definitely that- had this was once this before. Was this cat creature? This was um, make a beeline away from that feline. Away from that feline. Oh, T. listeners, every time we cover, we reference that episode, I have to say, go back and listen to make a beeline away from that feline and also watch the episode. It's definitely Revelatory. like, I think that one of the best episodes we've ever done and like our second ever I it's what I can there are a few times I can remember having more fun watching and covering an episode. Um but I, I love this kind of turn where the person we suspect as being the villain suspects themselves as well. I kind of got a uh, a Prince Caspian in the silver chair uh, oh, dynamic going shoot. on here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was gonna well I think for our um listeners who aren't as well versed in C. S. Lewis, the Wolfman. I am not super well-versed in the Wolfman, but I, I, I know what you mean. I know uh, vaguely what that is. Well, yeah, where it's like, here, chain me up <laughs> so I can't. <laughs> Which also leads us to uh, my favorite thing about this series overall is Fred's love of traps. Oh, my goodness. This is peak trap Fred in this series. Uh, and those jokes land for me without fail. Fred is just so um, earnest. He's so earnest. Yeah. He's like, oh, who's your chain guy? I gotta, um, yeah, these chains are top tier. He he finds a, uh, also, sorry, Dr. Petrillo has a pan, a set of pan pipes or a pan flute, which is also a mark against him. Um, but Fred finds it and thinks that, I guess, it's a row of blow darts all attached yeah, to each like, other. Oh. <laughs> it's like the Gatling gun version of a blow dart. Oh, what kind uh, of... He's like, oh man, that's sweet. What kind of darts does this take? I'm a 3.5 millimeter man myself. I, I like a three centimeter with combed beaver bristles. Wow, you got the note. Nice. I, I just love that aspect of Fred, and I love that they lean into it. Um, so the gang does one of those, like, watching him to see if he transforms, but inevitably, the uh, K. Horifico appears while the professor is locked up so we can rule him out as a villain. Um, there's also, like, a, a fart gag that, while it didn't, like... Is there? Yeah. I, I expected it. it. I expected it because um, Dr. Petrio starts like hmm. sort of like writhing and being like, oh, like, I can feel it. I can feel it. I'm transforming. <laughs> uh, and and then he farts. I thought it was, I thought it, I expected it. I thought it was telegraphed, but I also thought it was like pretty funny. Yeah. I, my thoughts must have been somewhere else. I like that. I like that as a gag. 
Um, when Kei Horifico appears again, I think we're not really adding a whole lot on just yet. Again, just kind of uh, possesses or uh, woos all of the kids away. At this point in my notes, I tried to write Pied Piper, but for some reason I wrote Fiddler on the Roof, which is not what is happening here. Um, although maybe. No, not really. Um, from there, we kind of start setting up our trap. Fred is like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to capture the monster. Which is, yeah, it's such a different Fred. Because past iterations of Fred are more obsessed with the mystery. Like when he says, let's split up and search for clues, that's because there's a mystery that needs to be solved. This Fred is more like, let's catch the ghost. Yeah, it's more like he wants to employ traps however he can. Like, he is as passionate about this ghost as he would be about a loose raccoon in the town. Like, he just wants to employ traps via whatever opportunity arises. And I will say, the way that they, the gag as it proceeds from here and how they plan to catch the monster, I really loved. I loved the idea that, and how they execute it. I would say, this is, so, Mystery Incorporated is not a show that employs Scooby Doops, really, because mm -hmm. the monsters are monsters. Well, they don't want to, they, they don't really, uh, they don't want to undercut the terror of the monster, I think. They want to preserve that fear element. And the Scooby Doop primarily exists to undercut the scariness of the monster and to empower the gang against him. Right. I, I think it, until... it's some much needed levity for a show aimed at very young kids. Up until the very end, when the monster's actually unmasked, um, you believe that it's a monster. You don't yeah. at any point think that, like, oh, there's like a there's a human being inside. Um, and I think I, I'd mentioned this a little bit brief previously, but I think this is one of the scariest episodes we've ever seen because they don't do anything to take the foot off the gas of how scary the monster and more importantly the kids are. The kids seem super humanly like agile, uh, resistant to pain, and just straight up feral. Monstrous. They're very monstrous. monstrous. They are. They're they're super scary. Um. So, for context, and we say this every mm. episode because it is our tradition, the Scooby-Doop mm. oh, yeah. is a gag. It's enacted typically by Scooby and Shaggy. They're creating a social... They're creating a scenario in which the social pressures are so great, the monster is forced to comply and play a part in it. Could you come up with one for this episode? Um, My Scooby-Doop for this episode... I mean, it would have to be something about being possessed by the, by the pan flute music. Um, oh shoot, I hadn't thought. Do you have one ready? Do you, do you know what you would do for this episode? Um, it would have to be... <laughs> oh man, the first place my mind went to was a very dark place. Which is that Scooby Whoa. and Shaggy like, dress up as like conquistadors and like chase oh, the oh. El Horrifico <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's pretty dark, alright. But, uh... Um... But, but, but also, that's not, in, that's not in the vein of... Typically, that's not how Scooby Doops work. Um, there have been some Scooby Doops where Scooby and Shaggy will like make Retaliate. themselves more frightening than the monster, yeah. but that's not tr that isn't the way it typically goes. And typically, it just it kind of transplants the monster in a completely different context that kind of demands he acts human, like he's a, a, a patron at a restaurant and Scooby and Shaggy are serving him, forcing him to act genteel in response. Yeah, that's like definitely I would say the number one example. Here's one. So. Um, Scooby and Shaggy show up. They see Kehorifico with the with the pan flute, the pan pipes, mm. um, and they're like, "Oh yeah, 
um, we can top that. And, you know, I guess it's, I want to say Switzerland, but it might be some other Nordic country. They have, like, those those trumpets or whatever that are, like, very long and, like, together. And they sort of, like, you know what I mean? Oh, I know, like, a, a, a Ricola commercial kind of thing? Sure. Ricola. But they're, like, attached. It's, it's like, an old, it's, like, a, sometimes they're in orchestras, but they're they're not common. They're a very atypical instrument. I, I'm not sure if I'm thinking of the right thing, uh, but I, I think I am. So I'll, you I'll put have it in them... the show notes. But I have them just be like, oh, yeah, well, like, check this out. And then they're, like, blowing it. And they're just, like, you know, it's 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 a much mm. louder, more impressive sound. And they sort of shame the monster. And the monsters are, the carry figure is, like, looking down at his little pan flutes, kind of, like, thoroughly emasculated. And, like, <laughs> oh, man, I have this teeny tiny little instrument. Like, what am I doing? That's my scooby Doop. Wow, you, you really got into that mindset really quick of I got a teeny <laughs> tiny little lens. That was a little too ready of a transition for you. <laughs> Almost like you... Never mind. Um, I agree. I would do the same thing. My, my one thought maybe is um, that they Scooby and Shaggy start playing some music that like kids are really into that adults are not. Like either dubstep or rap that just like really captures the, kid, the minds of the kid. Or, no, hang on. Wow, that's what I call kids music 47. They like <laughs> pop a CD in and the kids just love it. They go nuts. They start dancing and then the tracks start crawling over the screen like credits. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's very good. And it's Scooby and Shaggy doing their singing versions of famous songs too. Like One oh, Direction stuff. Wow, that is genius. That's so good. Oh, thank you. You you led me into there. You led me to that water. So, uh, but you couldn't make me drink. The reason the reason I bring about the Scooby Doop is because um, Fred and the they, gang actually do construct an elaborate scenario. It's almost like a big Scooby Doop, like too big to be a Scooby Doop, almost. Um, well, but I love the so scenario they engineer. They're not doing it to escape; they're actually doing it to lure the monster in. To entice. Oh, you're right. Um, and it, really, it's that they say, "Well, the monster is targeting families with kids." So let's go to this old abandoned house and pretend that we are a family with kids moving in. Um, yeah, and what did you think about the family composition as we as we see from the gang? Expected, but successful. Fred mm. and Daphne are very obviously the mother and father. Um, Scooby and Shaggy gotta be the kids. Not just kids, but like toddlers of like Victorian era. <laughs> I, well, I like it, when I was watching it, I couldn't come up with it. But I think what I'm looking for is the name, like, Fauntleroy. Mm, you wanted them to have, like, Would, a, a very young, very stately name for Scooby and Shaggy as babies. I mean, it's it's to say that they're decked out in, like, I want to say Victorian little boy It outfits. is, and it really works. I especially love that when Shaggy's like, oh, I love it. Like, I think Scooby doesn't like being dressed up that way, but Shaggy's like, hey, these pants are nice and baggy. And then he, like, stretches his leg out in a way that looks very comedic and very childish. Like, it was just one moment that really landed for me. And um, Velma is a cranky grandmother. Um, a funny line that I enjoyed... Um, Daphne's kind of like, I guess, stroking Fred's chest or something like that. Oh, this is so good. Watch it, Daphne. <laughs> Remember, we're married. Don't look so happy. I like that, and I think it works on two levels. It's both a joke on married people aren't happy, which I can tell you is true. It's very true. And it's also kind of a joke on, like, it, it's almost a soft rebuttal to Daphne's interests. Like, we wouldn't be happy if we were married. If this podcast was a radio show, like one of those obnoxious radio shows with like shock jocks, I guess. Yeah, like that kind of. There would be a soundbite of Empty Sam saying, 
Luke. Luke. And whenever <laughs> we would just play it, I would play it all the time. I would have a button here, and I would just be smashing be, it. Luke, 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 Luke. <laughs> Here's one thing I'll say, and I'll try not to hang on it for too long. But Daphne dressed up as the mom of this family. But again, I won't hang on the moment. Just there and gone. Um, Fred has a mustache as the dad, and I kind of like that. I, I really like, for whatever reason, the moment when they step inside the house, and Fred, like, takes off his mustache, and he's like, Okay, gang, let's go upstairs now. He's, it, like, creates this sense of urgency and it, uh, some joy to the costuming. And leading up to it, I will say that Crystal Cove becomes, like, a post-apocalyptic town. Like, it's, all it's of a sudden... It's got some children of the corn elements to it, yeah. They're, like, burned-out cars. <laughs> and, like, smoke. Like... The parents are gone, so, like, yeah, this town just, like, uh, becomes, a, like, a little mini wasteland. It, it devolves into anarchy. It, it straight up does. Kind of, almost like zombie. This is, uh, this is I Am Legend, basically. And, in fact, oh, dude, that scene where Shaggy is holding Scooby, who just got bit, and he has to... We uh, can't keep <laughs> doing... We can't keep restarting this. <laughs> that that scene from Ian Legend is like the Clayton scene from Tarzan in terms of how much I can't stop bringing it up. I mean, it's it's a show oh, with man. a dog. It's 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 it a it's a it's a well that keeps on giving. Um, so so what hap- what follows is really the chase scene. The Kehurufiko is going to show up and come after the game because Kehurufiko thinks they're a family. And it's, it's a long, very thrilling, uh, involved chase scene that really celebrates the music, the cinematography of the show. And it, and it surprisingly kicks off with the trap going off without a hitch. Um, Fred Dude, pulls out a pulley. Perhaps the, sorry, yeah. uh, there's a trip wire. Um, uh, a net shoots out and sort of pins Keihurifuko to, to, the, uh, to the street. And the gang is like, oh, wait, we did it. It's a net with it. like, spikes that can pin into the ground. This is, I think, the neatest, uh, in terms of execution, trap Fred has ever pulled off. Like, it looks good. It's, it's really uh, flawlessly executed, um, effortlessly carried out. Kehrifiko... Lovingly rendered. Yeah. <laughs> lovingly rendered. It is. This show... It, it really is. I think it's the slickest of any Scooby-Doo show oh, in existence. That is a great way of putting it. It looks super slick. And, uh, and I think it comes down to the storyboarding and the way that they really lovingly render the action. Um, but Kei Rufico isn't trapped for long because he plays the pan flute and all the kids converge to free him. And, it's, and then that's when the chase scene really This is scary. I mean, all of the other shots before are sort of the kids in the houses, banging at the windows, um, menacing people in the doorways. But now, all of a sudden, we see all of these spookified kids uh, on masse. Um, and they're just like clambering everywhere. They're they're trying to get into the house. Um, Fred is trying to shut the door, but they're just like all of these little um, little child hands, arms, um, reaching out. And while this is happening, Daphne is on the stairs, and she's sort of like mm. terrified. She is very frightened that they're going to get in. And in the corner for vision, in the the dark living room, she sees like shadowy movements. Ah. Oh. These, the kids are so scary. And just in general, if I can say, I think kids are terrifying as monsters way more than adults. Um, 
it's almost like in video games, you never see, you never have kids as enemies. I think because it's a, fo it's a little, uh, it's dicey, but it's also extremely scary, and it's really far into the horror There's place. There's a new zombie game, I think it's still coming out, called Last... State of Decay? No, too? Last Days. Um, hmm. And it takes place in, like, the Appalachians or something, or maybe not the Appalachians, like, um... But more like, you know, like, the back roads. More like, um... Is this where you're the biker you're driving the biker. around? You're the biker. Oh, I heard this. And there are kid zombies in it. And the kid zombies uh, are on the roofs. Because if they're on the ground, the adult zombies will eat them. So, so... Oh, and they also well don't really attack you. But if you go on a roof, all of a sudden you're on their territory, and they'll start to, like, try to jump at you. Um, which is what these kids try to do to the gang. They're trying to jump on the gang. We're not sure what they're trying to do. They have mouths full of very sharp teeth. They have not yet tried to bite them. But it's they're frightening nonetheless. My one, one of my criticisms of this show is that although the horror is great, it doesn't leave a lot of room for comedy. And I don't think it has quite the nuance needed to walk both. Uh, walk the line that includes both. For instance, when Fred and Scooby and Shaggy or whoever are like blocking the front door, one of the kids like gets some vegetable, a can of veg, a thing of vegetable oil, and like pours it around the door. Yes, yeah, so, so that feet. Fred like slips. <laughs> so they like slip. But that that very comedic idea and moment really doesn't land for me because it's right. still it's, we're in the thick of the fear. It's absurd, but the danger is still too strong. We're we're exactly. under the, the impression that these children are like I guess murderous beasts. Yeah, and I think uh, a show that is more willing to walk the line of comedy could could have made that work a little bit better. But here, they're deep into the horror well, territory. Well, I think that the show has had funny moments. Oh, it absolutely has funny moments. But I think it's more in the downtime and in the in-between time but from I the think worst that that's, mystery. When I think about Korean horror movies, um, and, and just successful horror movies in general, you use the downtime to have... Um, moments of levity moments of comedy to lull the hmm. audience into a sense of complacency i guess and yeah. comfort oh no and it creates uh, some tonal variety that really heightens the effect of the the scarier parts because you just laugh you kind of want to give your audience whiplash in in a way exactly and you need to be going a different speed than you're about to be going in order to do that i don't think this show has this a soft enough touch to really pull that off um, consistently, although there are some very funny moments. But uh, other notes on the uh, the scary chase scene. Well, I, I guess one thought for me is that Shaggy and Scooby end up locked in a closet as uh, the kids are like punching through the like wooden blinds and stuff and grasping at them. I thought that was a really excellent scary moment. I think one of the scariest tropes in horror is when someone is in a closet or they're under a bed and they like see the monster going past. Or they see the the footfall, the the feet as they go past, and then there's like a pause, and the person then like looks right? under the bed. Yeah, there's a pause, or like, yeah. or like the monster is like outside like a locker, and then like looks at the locker, and the person thinks. You see like the eyes and the. Slats, and the reason yeah. I think that's so scary and relatable is because we all it's because play of Newman in Space Jam. What I agree. <laughs> Newman in Space Jam when he's hiding in the Monstars locker room. That has, it created the baseline for so many horror movies to come. Dude, I agree. Why are you calling him Newman? <laughs> Newman. Uh, you know, like when, when Jerry and Seinfeld, oh, Newman. <laughs> I can't wait Newman. until he gets old enough, and I guess he might be, but you know those stupid memes that are like Kate Witherspoon 
or sorry, Reese Witherspoon and Reese Without Her Spoon. <laughs> when we can finally like, do like a new, new man, man, old man, old uh, man, uh, very easy, <laughs> writes itself. Um, well, I think it's I, I want to see new man, old boy. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. could that could that be a joke? Maybe it would be a long journey for a people small would, laugh, but I would take that the journey. The people who liked it would like it a lot. But the question is, do you use the original old boy as the second screenshot, or do oh, you use the Josh Brolin? the original old boy. Of course not, because no one Brolin wants the new boy. one. No, of course not. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, you were saying. Yeah. Um, we've all played hide-and-seek. Haven't you ever played hide-and-seek and been in the back of a yeah. closet or something and had someone, like, open the door? Or, or like, you're, you're under, like, a, a sofa yes. or something, right? And then you see, like, the... I mean, it's that classic horror thing of powerlessness. Of you, There's nowhere you can go, there's nothing you can do. All you can do is try and stay in a quiet place, John Krasinski, uh, and <laughs> hope that hope that they don't uh, they don't see you. So I think it, it it's horror by way of powerlessness. Yeah, I I like and and in in this show, first they're under the bed and 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 then they they come in and then we we once again the cameras under the bed and the the feet go past and then the the kids look under the bed but they're not there anymore. They're in the closet now. But but having the camera mm. take their point of view makes you think that they're still under there, um, so stuff like that I think is it's very effective. One other thing that actually was a comedic moment in the midst of tense, uh, in the midst of tension that I thought worked incredibly and was also a great camera move. Uh, if there was a camera, is like we see Velma at the top, like in the attic, looking out the window down at the uh, kids, and then we pan. Like, in, still with Velma in the shot, but just to show what's behind her. And it's Scooby and Shaggy in bed, still as the little Victorian boys. <laughs> and Shaggy's like, can you read us a story? And it's like, I thought we were already on to the scary stuff. <laughs> but this brings us back to that setup. I thought that was a brilliant... Uh, I, sh- I should take back when I said they can't walk the line between horror and comedy. That very much did. They can. It's it's hard, the, though. It's hard. It's but hard. It's, it's certainly possible. But... But the artistry of the camera movement there is really what carried that joke. That's what served it to us. Um, uh, any other notes on that chase scene of everything we see before we get to the unmasking? Uh, like, there's a moment where Shaggy is pulled into the darkness. That is very scary. Um, but mm. but it, let's let's just get into how it wraps up. Uh, Fred and uh, maybe Daphne are backing up as all the kids are converging on them. Fred's backing up towards the television, and he steps on a remote control, which turns on the television to the program that we've seen a couple times already in this episode. Mr. Broccolihead, was it? Yeah, and and so all the kids are... all the monsters... Hey, hey, really quick, this part? I loved it. I thought this was a great turn. They all start, like, kneeling down in front of the TV and watching it, and I was like, oh... How I mean, this kind of makes sense. We're, we we know from from the cold open that broccoli head is very popular with children, and we you, see kids loving the show many times. And the first thing I think is, somewhere in the recesses of their little monster brains, is an appreciation for TV. And and even upstairs yeah. where Shaggy and Scooby were being menaced by their spookified kids, those kids hear Mr. Broccoli Head, and they turn around and then they start to go down. Mm. Now, before we say, like, get into it more, what, at this stage, are you thinking about the mystery? Like, what's your theory? I, as far as the kids were concerned, I literally had no idea. I thought it was going to be one of those, like, faux science explanations. I thought hypnosis was going to be a factor here somehow. 
Uh, in my mind, that was the only explanation I thought that would really satisfy, and I was impressed that there was a different explanation that satisfied far more. Oh, yeah. Um, so because cl- so clever, I thought. So good. I think it was really, really good. Um, and I think we've withheld some details that are going to have given details, it away more. Unfortunately. But that's okay. Um, but the kids, like, the uh, Kei Horifico shows up at the window, and this is where Kei Horifico speaks and says, No, come on, we need to attack the adults! I guess... And, I guess so. I guess Kehorifiko does speak twice. I think Kehorifiko shows their hand, and I'm just going to change pronouns now. Kehorifiko shows their hand early when um, they're under the net, and they say, um, This town's ours now! Get them! Which mm, is. That's right. I, I guess uh, revealing their motivations. A little bit, yeah. Um, that all, it's the, it belongs to the kids and Kei Horifiko. And when Kei Horifiko shows up at the window here at the end and says, no, we must attack them or whatever, the kids then, in a turn that pretty much made my jaw drop, pull off their hair and out their teeth, and they say, no, we want to watch the TV show. There, and I love all... It's, it's, it's that, but it's also, I think the line is, and I don't have it down exactly, is like... Oh, please give it to me, because I don't remember it yet. It's something along the lines of, we'll do it later. <laughs> We'll do it later. Yeah, this is on right now. Like, it, it reveals, essentially, that the kids have been, like, fully aware and fully in control of their faculties this whole time. They've been putting on an act. Uh, genius. I You genius. never expect everyone to be in on the, the con, I guess, is what it was. Well, that was my question throughout this episode. I'm like, these kids are acting more feral than you would think they could be able to act. Like, why would they put on this whole act or whatever? Um, and uh, even though I suspected the villain pretty early on, the reasons why the villain worked well, I didn't understand a bit. But it was seated in there brilliantly. So, uh, it's... We know it's not Dr. Petrio. We yeah, know we've that already the villain has to be introduced and a new character. Which means it has to be Tudor Girl. It has to be Mary Ann Gleardon. It, it has to be. There's no one else it could be. And the reasons why it's her make a lot of sense. We were told earlier on, remember, Mr. Jones, Fred's dad, the mayor, set her up with Fred as a tutor. Dur- during that interaction, we got a little bit more background than we let on. She says that she wants to be a part of the uh, city council of the governance because she's way into civics. But Mr. Jones said she was too young. Which is true. And so her plan was, if I can get all the adults out, I can now run the city the way I want to. Um, And she actually went around to all of the kindergartens and preschools in the entire city. um, And she told them that they could be a part of a utopia. Uh, They didn't care. So she bribed them (laughs) with candy. (laughs) And then they all immediately agreed to go along with this ruse. Um, I think part of what makes that really work in retrospect is the fact that what she did was fundamentally civics. Um, she convinced a large population of her peers to go along with her idea for ostensibly her version of the greater good. Uh, she calls the gang meddlesome kids in Latin. Uh, uh, she Google starts... Translate begs to differ, but yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> she starts to be led away by, um, by the sheriff. Well, she, she's, she's about a... to say something and she like raises a hand and then she's cuffed, immediately cuffed. She's he she he's he's leading her away. She's she's like you can't arrest me. I'm a minor. 
And then he says... And his justification... Oh, his justification. Please give it to me. He says, do you know how much money we've spent on K-Rifico t-shirts, K-Rifico uh, action figures, K-Rifico pan flutes? And then she's like, yeah, actually... You're- I, I have to say, like, she knows her civics, and after this episode I do too, I looked it up, and the local law in Crystal Cove is that if you cost the local government enough money in, uh, in, in, from their tourist budget, no matter your age, you go to, to prison. Not to jail, but yeah, to prison. You're tried as an with adult. Adults. You're tried, regardless of your age. This is cutting ahead a little bit, but I did happen to peek at her uh, Scooby Wikia page. Okay. When we see her again in the next season, she's in prison. <laughs> what? <laughs> she's in prison. <laughs> you know what? I don't think it's cutting ahead too much. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Give me like one second, uh, if I may. Because well, here's the thing. I, we're 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 tackling the show so slowly. We're not going to get to season 2 until many years from now. The thing is either listeners won't remember or they've already seen the episode I'm about to reference. But uh, under uh skills and abilities on her wiki page, she is a persuasive leader of younger children. In prison, she built up combat abilities including taking up weightlifting, being able to throw a barbell at Krampus before it abducts her and the ability to kill with her braids. The ability to kill Excuse me? <laughs> there is murder later in this series by this person. What the heck? Uh, it's so like, they, she genuinely does go to prison, and unless she was already like this, it genuinely changes her. Um, but that's, that's almost the end of this episode, except that we always have to end Mystery Incorporated at K. Ghoul Station with Angel Dynamite. Uh, they're dancing. Angel's giving out pizza. Uh, Shaggy gives Velma back the tight pants she bought for him, and he says, Sorry, Velma. Shaggy likes baggy. Um, but they resolve that he moment just by dancing together. <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> Shaggy likes baggy. That does, hold, you need some clarification there. Holding up a dime bag of weed. Hmm? Uh, another problem <laughs> that Velma has to deal with. <laughs> oh, man. I think um, my... This is, I think, one of the more successful episodes of Mystery Incorporated that we've seen yet. But do you think that the do you think that it's successful because it doesn't tie into the overarching narrative of this season? the The overarching narrative of this season and of this series is kind of one of the big sticking points for me. I think they need it's it's successful because it completely neglects that. And the reason being that when they go into the overarching mystery, which for our listeners pertains probably to Angel Dynamite, to the the gang's parents, and to the odd relationships between the gang members. I think we're going to see more of that as it comes on. I've been it's been hinted. I think it's successful because it neglects that and the reason why is that when it goes into that mystery stuff, it never furthers the on- it never pushes the envelope in a way that's satisfying. It introduces little mystery things, but not in a way that it really feels like we're building cleanly to something. It just kind of like almost like lost, you know what I mean? Hmm. It introduces questions, but it's not supplying answers at a satisfying enough rate to really develop them. And I think that's why it's successful here is because it doesn't try and do that. I mean, and to me, I think it's it, we're going to see questions and questions, and then all at once, a two-season, like, a bunch of episodes from now, we're going to get a deluge of answers, and that should really be trickling in. It should be more of a drip feed. I mean, I, I do think it's worth no- noting that this is only the fifth episode. So, given that it's only five episodes in, I think that we've that enough has been seeded in, that things have been seeded in at a reasonable pace. But I think I think five episodes in, we're not even halfway, so 
there's the chance that things could be continued to be um, inserted at like a reasonable pace. I think it's tricky because we've been watching episodes of the show one episode every like two months, if True. that. Which has made the pacing very... It's, it's hard to okay, build here, momentum. Here's the thing. Maybe this is what's bothering me about it. I'm not sure in any given episode what I'm supposed to be unsettled by. Should I be bothered by the relationships between the individual gang members or the lack of relationships? No, you should not. You should not be. I think they want people to like See, that. that's the thing, but I'm not sure. Should I be bothered by how unimportant Angel Dynamite is or should I take issue with that? I think that's one of the better parts. I think she's kind of there, but uh, the show doesn't give us enough to tell us how we're supposed to feel about the many weird, unsettling things that we're seeing. Um, uh, for me, it just doesn't quite work, but I recognize that this is some people's favorite Scooby-Doo series, and so I'm still I'm trying to put myself in those shoes and to see that value. Um, and this is I, a, this was a very fun episode. I thought this episode was very, very good. I think that a lot of people got in the same way that people are turned off from Be Cool Scooby Doo's art. I think a lot of people hopped onto or were swept away by Mystery Incorporated because of its very, very good you know, like, it's it's beautifully rendered. Like, it's good action. Um, the character designs are very tight. It truly is. Um, the I would say that the animation is better than the straight-to-DVD or Netflix or whatever specials that come out. It's very... Sti- like, the style is, like, so... It has a strong sense of I- identity, I guess. Yeah, no, I visual that, identity. Like, I think so. It's, uh... I and think then, completely I think right. also the fact... I think a lot of our peers also grew up with this series. Mm. Whereas we didn't. This is my first time stepping into it. Um, what I grew up with was the original series and then some of the newer iterations that are completely trying to recreate the original. Um, so it's interesting for me and I'm trying to learn to appreciate it. I, I said at the beginning, I'm not a huge horror person. So it's a little outside of my comfort zone, but I appreciate both our listeners and you, my dear friend Evan, sticking with me. Yeah, dog. Get to that outro. 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 Okay, so I was going to do the water gulping mm-hmm. gag to start this outro. I'm glad you didn't, but that. I need to pee. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm sorry, dude. What were you saying? Sorry, I'm actually sorry. What were you saying? I just I need to pee so. <laughs> 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 I'm not joking. <laughs> How are you so good at that? Why am I so bad at this? Okay. I'm not. I'm. I'm okay at fully work normally. <laughs> you, you, you were doing the slurping, and I'm here watching. And I'm just like any second now. Luke is gonna start choking. <laughs> I think it's because I've got a very small nozzle on my. <coughs> That was the episode. This is the outro. <laughs> How are you? So- Thank anyway. you so much for joining us. Yeah, Luke is actually, he's crying. I am. But it's not not from coughing. It's from disappointment in myself for coughing. <laughs> uh, hey, thank you I mean, so much for listening to this episode. Thank you. You're um, probably thinking, just- well, that's all I can do. I can just listen to the episode and now... I just got to turn it off and then go on my Scooby Dudes-less way. But, in fact, there is more you can do with the Scooby Dudes, even now that the episode is done. Um, I have finally, 
I, I have these seasons, seasons of like productivity and then like seasons where I don't want to do anything. And I've really hunkered down. I've scheduled out quite a few weeks content on both facebook.com slash scooby dudes and twitter at the scooby dudes if you tune into either of these platforms on an almost daily basis you're gonna get you're gonna get content and it's, it's good i've i've had some great finds and i'm putting that out there for you i think i i completely agree i think you've had some great finds they're surprising to me because i don't help at all so it's all fresh uh listeners go check that out again facebook twitter Facebook Scooby Dudes, Twitter at The Scooby Dudes. Check out our website. We also have additional content there and a portal where you can reach any of our other media. That's simply ScoobyDudes.com. We got it. ScoobyDudes.com is a place for you to check out captioned screenshots of this episode, show notes for this episode, and also you can go back and listen and easily find all of the other episodes we've done on Mystery Incorporated if you wanted to start from the beginning. It's a veritable wikia of all of our episodes. Evan has put some fantastic effort in there, and the results really show. So Facebook, Twitter, ScoobyDudes.com. Of course, you can send us an email at ScoobyDudesPodcast at gmail.com. We welcome that feedback. But none of those are the very best place to get additional Scooby Dudes content. There's just one place for that. What and that's Evan's home. Yeah. That's Evan's personal address I mean, where he lives. I mean, like, if what? they come to you, they can get all the content they want. Right from the spigot. Oh, they'll be content, all right. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> uh, but again, that's uh, 265 Degrassi Street in uh, Toronto. Did I have that right? I was... It, it was 205, and I no longer live there. Oh, shoot. But uh, but Patreon is probably actually the best place to follow yeah. up and get additional Scooby Dudes content. If you think Patreon is kind of our online neighborhood, yeah, that's our online home. If you want to come peek through our window where we live, Patreon.com is the place you can get that uh, insight into our lives. Patreon.com/slash/ScoobyDudes, you can get uh, additional audio content, additional jokes, additional just snippets, stuff that hits the cutting room floor. It's Everything we can give you, we give you on Patreon. Uh, for just a small monthly donation that really, all all that money goes straight back into the podcast, into paying for our title card artists, into covering our overhead, into ensuring that we have uh, shrimp cocktails to eat every Saturday when we record. It's just the baseline expenses that we need for the show. I've been wondering where you get all of these shrimp cocktails. They're always just off to the side of the webcam, like you don't want to get them in frame. No, I never want you to see the shrimp cocktails. And, and, and that is kind of the split. I have shrimp cocktails every episode. Evan has a bargain brand oatmeal that he, he makes with water, no milk. Uh, and that's where the Patreon money goes. Man, that is... I've never made oatmeal with milk. Is that a thing? Really? Oh, always oatmeal with milk. Because I'm it's a little thicker. bit lactose intolerant, so... Yeah. Uh, you are intolerant. Uh, every week, we shout out our patrons to thank them for their, their donations, because we don't just want to give them that extra great content. We shout them out the first time they donate, big and loud. We shout them out every subsequent time they donate. And if you've been listening for a while, you've probably kind of gotten used to our Patreon shout, or scream as we call it. For the first time... Yeah, you know that we're saying these names a certain way. Yeah, we you have that expectation. It's a bit of a gimmick. Th- this week, for the first time ever, we've redone all of our Patreon... Patron... Patreonus... My... 
our donor shouts, and we're putting them out there for you anew. What is it in Harry Potter? It's the Patronus. It's, it's a Patronus. Patronus. Okay, okay, D- dude, come on, don't judge me so much. So much judgment there. Wow, look at this D- loser come- over here who doesn't know Harry Potter. Yeah, look at this here. Doesn't okay, know what Pat- Patronus is. <laughs> no matter how you bleep. Uh, well, as long you know. Okay. Um, sorry. What was I gonna say? I am losing it. I know we've gotten so it's, loopy. It's, it's mostly because I the, I need to pee so badly. I worry that the urine has made its way up to my brain. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's that as soon as we start recording, I turn off the air conditioning in my apartment, and I have all the windows closed for no so there's no background info. So I become more like hot and sweltered. I'm like in a hot box here. How oh, is it? I'm dealing with that. I she I don't know how she deals with almost anything about me in this podcast, but. She's a saint because, like, I get, like oh, I'm man. I'm develop I'm having a heat stroke right now. Every oh, I'm just, gosh, I'm just loopy from pea brain, you know, like. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> I'm imagining like your body being like an empty vessel, like glass that you can see through, and the pee just rises, the pee level rises until it reaches your brain, and that's where it really starts to inhibit your function. Yeah, yeah, it 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 no, tip is typically around like my calves. But it's really just, it's made its way all the way up. Last thing, before we go, Luke needs to not be in this sauna that he's created for himself. I need to pee. Go to iTunes. Oh, no, so we need to to actually shout out those patrons. Thank you to these beloved patrons who donate to us every week. Let's say their names right now. And lastly, Evan, you, that is, are you just... Are you just licking your teeth? What are you doing? You're just making mouth noises. We will transcribe your name into wet mouth noises and shout it out on our podcast every single week. You know, I felt bad about coughing in the intro and then the outro, but you just did is way worse. It's really way gross. Like, it's I so don't know disgusting. what it sounds like to you. I feel like people will either absolutely hate what you just did or they would pay a lot of money for what you just did it's one or the other <laughs> just this is kind of like an un an unplanned asmr Ugh, episode morph. really uh but lastly if you leave us a five-star review on itunes i will read it i will read it if you say things that i think are not great luke will censor as needed but really i'll read pretty much anything I, I won't censor if you say things that Evan thinks are not great. I will only censor if I think you're saying crass things that need to be bleeped for our precious young listeners' ears. Um, <laughs> you pr- are you proud of yourself, Evan? I think this is the first time in Scooby-Doo's history where I have to give you that look <laughs> and, and a moment of silence to contemplate what you've it's done. true. I don't... You know what? I'll be honest... I, I now know what it's like to be you, and I don't like it. The difference it. is, you don't stay silent for long enough. I've sat a mile in your chair. The, the, the you don't, difference you is don't what? stay silent long enough. I really make you stew, is is the difference. Yeah, you really do. I can't, I can't do it. Do we have any new reviews this week? Not that I know of. Okay, well... Do you want to? Do you want to maybe figure out if you can know? Should it sounds like you should know? Maybe check. No, no, no. We don't. Not this week. Okay, cool. Well, in that case, uh, listeners, Evan, it's been a fun week. I look forward to revisiting this. Uh, <laughs>
Okay, I'm so. <laughs> yeah, I, this disgusting. is disgusting. This is entirely on me. I'm very sorry. <laughs> please, please, against your better judgment, no, come back it, next week. I. <laughs> if I was more on, if I was, if I was not experiencing heat stroke, I might think of something funny to do with. <laughs> This is the big reveal. This is the big reveal that I've been a Foley artist all along. Mm -hmm.